0: Five years ago, the idea of the TV being a targetable, measurable ad platform was science fiction. Today, Mountain is helping brands do that by turning the TV into a performance marketing machine. With Mountain, your ads reach millions of viewers via tens of thousands of customizable audience segments and get seen exclusively on premium streaming networks. That's high-impact ads served at the right time, right place, and to the right audience. And if that wasn't futuristic enough... Mountain then automatically optimizes your campaigns thousands of times a day to ensure you're always at peak performance. The future is now. Visit mountain.com to learn more.
1: welcome to great minds and our guest today is tiffany Zhengyu wang tiffany is the chief marketing officer of open web uh, one of the players that is really redefining the community engagement space driving media growth working with a huge number of publishers and brands more than a thousand and we are delighted to have you here on great minds so welcome tiffany
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me, Matt.
1: Great to have you. So Tiffany, you have such an interesting background, and usually we begin by sort of going back in time. But with you, I wanted to start with something that's relatively recent, just a few years ago, and that's the Oasis Consortium. You started something which is tackling some of the toughest challenges our industry faces around sustainability through ethical standards and technology and really trying to create an ethical internet. So I'd love to start our conversation by going back to the genesis of the OASIS Consortium and let's really dig a little deeply there because it's such an important area.
2: Absolutely, Matt, Uh, OASIS was founded in 2020. When it began, it was really triggered by back then the news, when big brands started boycotting uh, big platforms, you know, YouTube, Twitter for online hate speech. And at that point, when I was looking at the landscape, and I know both people from advertising uh, background as well as from the platform user safety background. And I realized that both sides don't really convey to talk about um, the fundamental issue for brand safety is actually user safety. The CMOs of brands can tell holding companies to focus on brand safety, but as long as they do not understand or appreciate how platforms struggle to get user safety down, and there's always a gap continually moving forward. So because of that background, I uh, convened a few key players from holding companies, brands, as well as uh, gaming, dating, Um, e-commerce platform say let's just like organize a think tank and thinking about how we build an ethical by design future together and very quickly when you have beautiful minds you know great minds to the credit of your podcast around the same table they suddenly figure out let's set a milestone let's set a milestone of launch the first ever user safety standards for web3 so on january 6 2021 which was the Um, anniversary of the the Capitol Hill insurrection, we said if Web3 doesn't pay attention to safety by design measures at the very beginning of this new era, um, we will will repeat the mistakes we made in Web2. So moving forward, we launched the standards Um, Today, you know, over 20 uh, platforms across dating e-commerce platform, I mean, dating e-commerce gaming platforms have pledged to the standards.
1: And... How does the OASIS Consortium work with sort of the existing ecosystem? I know a lot of the trade groups globally, the World Federation of Advertisers, groups like the IAB, others. How do you interface with them? Did they welcome the OASIS Consortium? Because I would argue that a lot of that responsibility was with them. And I think they sort of didn't really get the job done in many respects.
2: I To your point, I think it is... A, it is is an ecosystem and we have to support each other so that we can actually put safety on top of the mind for uh, brands and agencies, you know, credit to many associations. Um, for example, uh, Cheryl Ghosting from IAB was one of the advisors uh, when Oasis first started. Um, and um, Mike Zainas from Tech, who is also an advisor, you know, for Oasis. So at the very beginning, look at OASIS, it should focus on user safety in web three, and we want to make available all the expertise and outcomes of research to the ecosystem. And vice versa, we want ecosystem to understand, no matter how much we talk about brand safety, how much we talk about ethics, as long as we do not fix the issues of user safety in web three, all those topics are not going to be substantialized. So, so, yes, we are part of the ecosystem. I try to involve this as much as I can of different trade groups. We also, you know, personally also sit on the World Economic Forum, Digital Safety Coalition. So we work very closely with the World Economic Forum. Um, recently, Atlantic Council, so the think tank, also launched Trust and Safety initiative i'm also part of that it's a it's a movement that everybody needs to join um it's not a competition it's really a collaboration
1: so there's been a lot of stuff in the press lately about ai and i've seen a few headlines one was around microsoft compromising their ethics in favor of profit embracing ai and i'm not judging i'm just you know this was literal Uh, interpretation or reporting of a headline, and another was from the editorial page about a chat with AI that was both delightful and very disturbing. What's your take on all that, Tiffany? You have actual knowledge here to give a learned opinion.
2: Gosh, um, we we can even wind back uh, to Microsoft really didn't have the luck about it. They put this bot called a Tay a few years ago on Twitter within 24 hours, the bot became racist. Um, so so I think I want to give a, like a broader background and um, the the key words you mentioned um, was growth at all costs or growth over everything. And that is how web two was developed, right? If you think about In the past 15 years, um, the so-called social web, the the, the web which is dominated by the social media platforms, um, did a few things um, under the banner of digital transformation. You know, we we concentrated, we centralized the data, right? We put all the data on the cloud. You know, it was a thing, you know, you digital transform those and you use AI to analyze it. You do uh, predictions about it. Um, we also productized the people. You know, people became assets for, for the platforms to monetize, right? So, so, those, so those moments happened so that growth was at the center of every single decision. And algorithms understood that human decisions to put growth at the center of everything and therefore behaved under that mandate. Recently we saw a pendulum swing back in the so-called Web3, and we put people back to the center of this decision. So, so the, the thesis I call is: I think we are moving from digital transformation to trust transformation. So it's very, very important to set the guardrails at this point. If algorithms, you know, the piece about AI, AI is as good the data goes is as well as demanded goes. If humans only give AI racist and biased data to start with, we, we should not expect unbiased outcomes. And if AI didn't understand what the algorithm optimizes for is not ethics, but growth or attention or addiction, outcomes will not be good. So I think collaboration in the industry between AI researchers as well as social um, scientists and behavioral scientists, ethicists, and this kind of collaboration must have, and I, the great news is I see it is happening. Oh, is this a the part of it? At the Council, World Economic Forum, many, many uh, players start to realize that problem and making efforts to change that.
1: Well, I sure hope you're right, and that uh, putting trust at the center versus a lot of stuff under the heading of digital transformation that may really just be a veneer for something else. You know, I love that you anchored uh, and you referred back to January 6th, and I, I can't help but wonder, you know, we all saw what happened in January with the House vote. Uh, I think it was 14 votes uh, for Kevin McCarthy to ultimately become speaker. And that, in effect, he was held hostage by uh, Matt Gates, who I think should be in jail as a pedophile and, you know, something with children and cocaine. And, you know, this is all very public information. And people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, it, it seems like the crazy voice is the one that gets amplified and I'm pretty you know, uh, literate about politics, I'd be hard pressed to name 10 members of the House of Representatives, but I know all the crazy ones. And uh, what's your thoughts on how the crazy voice in the way the world is today with this, the social web is the one that gets amplified the most?
2: There is another um, principle I always stick to when I think about phenomenons issues like this is freedom of speech is different from freedom of reach people feel entitled to speak loud and their opinions without considering other people's liberty and without considering the guardrails the society imposes to make sure everybody had a free uh, um, freedom of speech and i think in the past decade um, the algorithms, the principle of placing growth over everything, exaggerated dramatically the loud voices, because that's the voices get more emotions and therefore more addiction and therefore more page views and therefore more conversion and monetization. And um, and I think things are changing. And when we talk about the trust transformation, we hope this would be the case. But my my thought is Sure, you know, ethics is a nice to have for so many years, but now becomes a must have because younger generations are different from the generation you know we were born out of. They are demanding their data to be protected. They are demanding their identity to be respected. And they are demanding that their voice to be heard. That is a whole thesis about decentralization technologies are just enablers, it is the social phenomenon of the pendulum swing to the new generation demanding their voices to be heard. So I think for brands, for media, I think ethics becomes a business strategic driver that we have. If any business who don't invest in path to enable um, equal voice and equal identities won't be the brands you hear in 10 years. It is a business mandate beyond just a nice to have that has been the case for so many years.
1: Well, I sure hope you're right that that next generation can do a little bit better than mine, because I feel like we have not done the job. OK, so that was that was really great. Thank you so much for diving deeply into that area. It's such such an important area. So now let's dial the clock back a little bit. And we uh, recently launched Advertising Week in Africa. And I love that you spent an early part of your career when you were in Paris working on sub-Sahara Africa. So can we go back and reflect on that? I think the future uh, of Africa is very bright. I think it's uh, you know one of the huge growth areas and it was a big reason why we added Johannesburg to our list of cities. Uh, I think as a world-class city, it very much belongs alongside New York and London and Tokyo and Mexico City and Sydney, where we already are. But I'd love to go back and dial the clock back about 15 years or so to your time in Paris and uh, thoughts on Africa. Yes,
2: first of all, kudos and bravo to, to you, Matt, and Advertising Wake. Um, your global footprint is such a unique asset, you know, for you, and it's so important when you talk about advertising. You can't talk about advertising if you don't have a global understanding of the audiences, especially given where the world is heading to. So, and I'm very excited to know that you're expanding to Africa. I hold, um, very, very uh, dear to me. You know, my experience is there. You know, into today. So yeah, I, I grow up thought, um, I would i would be a diplomat and um and that was a, that was before the whole africa asia corridor was the thing and i think you know growing up in shanghai a very metropolitan and uh, competitive city you know seeking seeking the new seeking the new experiences and being curious was part of me and i was always curious about that part of the world and what it can offer um you know, to the world. So I decided to study about um, about African studies. And then, you know, I first came to the U.S. Uh, doing a program here in the U.S. and they recommended me to go to Sciences Po Bahi, which is a Francophone elite school where a lot of Francophone African um, countries send their elite students to, and I was studying there. So I ended up, um, becoming an investment banker and investor in, sub- in Sub-Saharan Africa and in all the uh, metals and mining or in the gas um, infrastructure investments uh, when there was a boom uh, back in the uh, mid and late uh, 2000s. And um, here's the thing, the reason I really love the region so much, not only because of the diversity in the region itself, but the potential for the region to leapfrog. Because for the longest time it was so underinvested, and but there's such such a strong curiosity and a big base of talents who strive and hope for more. So that tension makes um, all the innovations possible across Sub-Saharan Africa, East Africa, West Africa. You go there, you see the real smart, hardworking. People say, if we didn't really have ATM, how I can leapfrog with mobile p- payment, right? And and that's how they leapfrog in, into the mobile payment. Um, if I didn't have large scale solar installments, how I can do micro grade for solar, um, to power, you know, my people in my region. So I think. Um, I love, I really love that experience in Africa, you know, and to today is I believe in the people and I believe in diversity there. And I believe in the innovation the region can drive in any sector because of the people and the direct, the diversity and innovative spirit um, they embrace.
1: We believe very much in Africa. We were in South Africa, but I I think the opportunities in places like Nigeria and Kenya and Ghana ghana are just tremendous and um we're very keen to continue to grow there and thank you thank you for your kind words there i i appreciate it um so tiffany your background is so interesting in that you've worked for big big companies and you've done a lot of smaller more boutique types of operations i guess salesforce would probably be one of the larger companies that you've worked from rather than do what we usually do which is dive into all those experiences I'd love to get your reflections on, you know, that experience of the big company and trying to maintain that entrepreneurial spirit, which is such a big part of you and your DNA and how you contrast that working with more boutique. I won't quite call them startups, but, you know, you've got a really varied background for somebody who's still relatively young.
2: Yeah. Um, if you ask my colleagues who have worked with me, they usually will tell you she's a fixer. So. So either in big companies or in smaller companies, um, my passion and my job has always been if there is um, an initiative, a big issue, a hard problem that, um, that the company has tried to solve but hasn't solved, they usually will put me to solve it. And I think to be a fixer, there are two things are, that are necessary. Uh, one is empathy. And I think you know, the, the international background that, that we both embrace um, help, helps with it. Because you know, when you have lived and worked across four different continents and truly appreciated not only the differences, but out at the end of the day, the common humanity across customs and cultures, it's actually pretty easy to uncover. Every single person coming your way in your problem to solve the problem. So I think, I, think, I, th- I think that's important. But the other piece you mentioned is, I, I really believe that having both experiences in big companies and smaller companies make the decisions faster, easier, and more effective because you have seen practices in both sizes across different stages. You also can easily tap on the talents as you help boutique companies to grow. Because a company which, which is in seed or series A or series B stage would hire very different style of executives when it becomes a Fortune 500 companies. So have having a network of the top talents in both big and small companies allow me to always hire the best talents, not just for my teams, but for the company I join, uh, for other departments as we grow. So I think the, the two pieces about having this global perspectives and therefore the embassy as well as a good network of talents you can always tap on are very important for a fixer, you know, to be a fixer. So, so yes. Uh,
1: I love that. I think I can think of no higher compliment than to be known as a fixer. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I, I appreciate seeing your background and how Advertising WIG has grown. I'm pretty sure you are a fixer. <laughs>
1: well, we, we certainly try. Sometimes I break things too, but we try to fix them if we break them. So let's talk about OpenWeb. Uh, I'd love to know how you got there. Tell us about uh, the journey and then let's really dig into what's happening at OpenWeb. Such an interesting company, but tell us about the journey to becoming the Chief Marketing Officer of OpenWeb?
2: Yes, I got to know uh, founders of um, OpenWeb, Nadav uh, Chauvel and Roy Goldberg when I was still at my previous company, um, Spectrum Labs, which was a company focused on digital trust and safety for gaming, e-commerce and dating platforms. So there was a partnership and a discussion and they got to know me and then uh, shortly after, uh, they reached out asking me if I want to join them. It was at a time when Spectrum was raising around. so I was saying, "No, let's let's um, let's wait. If in in a year you're still looking for people, um, let's talk again." And a year later, um, Open Web was raising more money, acquired a new company, was on a very strong trajectory, and it was a, also a good point for me to seek new career development while Spectrum was in a very good place. So I decided to say yes, and then I joined Open Web in August as this, uh, the chief marketing officer.
1: When you got there, what surprised you about Open Web? What was sort of confirmed in the conversations that you had with the founders? And you've been there now about six months or so. Tell me how it's going.
2: Yeah, it is crazy. It's uh, I can't believe it's only six months. few six years, you know. Uh, so it's um. We we raised 170 million end of last year from um, you know top investors. We uh, announced the recent the third acquisition in January, a gene uh, email marketing and newsletter marketing companies, um January this year. So here's um here's my impression so far, and what I love about the company is that there's so it you know we are all in this down market economic down market, yet the company has garnered so much interest uh, from investors, uh, customers and the market uh, for the confidence we um, you know you know we, we exude is a is a business and I think the core of that is related to a few things we discussed before is it really served this pen, pendulum swing to a people-centric web three um, because what open web does is that we power over a thousand publishers and brands to build their own communities right we we make sure that their content on their platform is safe we make sure that the brands and publishers can build their own communities and data without relying on twitter and facebook and war gardens and um, and then we help the brands and publishers to monetize based on the people they gathered and the data they have with the consent of the people, right? So I think we really served well this new era of investment thesis where people should be at the center of every single decision for the business. So I think you know. So so it was it was pretty crazy with the fundraising with acquisition, but at the end of the day, um, what I call and I kind of think, aside to what we do, under the umbrella of uh, a community economy, and I think we talk too. We, we talk so much about creator economy, and I think that's great, but what can businesses do in the world of creator economy, right? Creator economy is about technologies enabling creators through digital ownership and putting creators at the center of economics, uh, economics and the decisions. But what can business do You know, to actually benefit and serve this new wave of creator economy and it's so-called a community economy. And for me, it follows this Maslow pyramid where you need to take care of the safety for people And then you need to build a layer of first-party data of social graph and intent graph to understand them, to retain them and to create a flywheel of engagement. And on top of that, you actually can diversify the engagement starting with advertising because that's how the internet has been funded and diversify into e-commerce and subscription, which are yet to be proved, yeah? So I think, and, 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 and open web, business model is really based on this mass slow pyramid of taking care of the content moderation safety beautiful first party data for publishers and brands and help them monetize on top of it
1: so uh, i'm going to guess that somewhere in your office there's a whiteboard of plans and visions for 23 and 24. give us a look at that whiteboard if you will and what are your top one, two, or three priorities to build the open web brand going, looking ahead to the next year or so?
2: Yeah, if I summarize what is on the whiteboard, I would say it is uh, lend and, and expand. So um, I always believe that the bull market is the, is the moment for CFOs. The bear market is the moment for CMOs it it is a contrarian thought because most of the brands and the shops are cutting the budget but here we we doubled the budget you know for this year because i think it is the opportunity where you can spend the capital very efficiently and effectively and it's where we need to build the brand longevity and the customer retention so when i say landing and expand so we acquired three companies in the last Twelve months. It is the time to consolidate the brands, and and really offer to our customers better product suite with the acquisitions that we made. And in terms of the um, expand, we actually spend. We're spending a lot of time uh, looking into the whole um, AI development because not only do we believe um, the GPT-3.5 right now, GPT-4 coming up, will actually improve the internal productivity, but can be also deployed um, in our tools and the products uh, to enable our customers to drive better productivity in, in the years to come where efficiency and effectiveness will be the path to survival and thriving
1: absolutely mind blowing. And I can't get my head around all the AI stuff, but I think it's going to be an absolutely fascinating part of the business to watch it unfold in the coming years. Okay. So tip, just as, as, we start to wrap, you have lived all over the world. You're in a great city now, San Francisco, one of my favorites. If you could blank yourself and be anywhere in the world right now, where would you put yourself?
2: Oh, I tell you my two places, I loved the most in my past traveling and living. It was uh, Kenya and Sri Lanka. There was this beautiful balance between street smartness and the vibrance as well as tranquility. I always loved these two places so much. Um, but there's also so many countries I haven't been. Um, if I, I was, I would throw a random dart and let let life lead me to somewhere I haven't been, and just fully expose myself to to something i've never experienced
1: I love that answer well i I think when you do travel and uh, I've been fortunate enough to travel uh not quite as much as you have but but pretty well, I think you learn that there is much more that unites us than separates us and and that we're all we are all connected and um Politics aside, we are all in this together. And I love what you're doing with the Oasis Consortium to uh, correct a lot of things that we bungled on Web 2.0 with Web 3.0. And the open web story, I think, is one that we'll want to keep a close eye on going forward. Uh, And I'm so glad we had this chance uh, to talk to you and to have you here on Great Mind. So thank you so much for doing this. Really, uh, Really, this was just absolutely wonderful.
2: Thank you so much, Matt. I have admired all the work you've been doing with Advertising Week. So thank you so much for having this chat with me.
0: For years, advertisers struggled to tie measurable outcomes to TV ads. Today, brands can measure their impact down to the last decimal. Mountain's self-serve connected TV marketing software provides real-time insights that can take the guesswork out of ad measurement. With Mountain, you can build customizable dashboards with the metrics that matter most and compare your campaigns to other channels with leading web analytics integrations. You can even track when viewers visit your website or make a purchase, regardless of what household device they use. Visit Mountain.com to learn more.